welcome back to World Changers. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, I'm Brett, and I'm here with my buddy Steven. Hey, guys. And uh, today we're going to talk about one of the most influential figures in American history, um, especially around the question of race, and that's going to be Martin Luther King Jr. So we'll give you a little... We'll, we'll talk about his life. We'll uh, give you some cool stories, talk, give you some cool quotes, and okay. and that'll be it. We'll dive right we'll send in. Send you on your way. So Martin Luther King Jr. was born in 1929 in Atlanta, Georgia. He was actually born to Michael King Jr., fun fact. Huh. And January 15th, uh, he was the middle child of Michael King Sr. and Alberta Williams King. And their family was rooted in rural Georgia. Uh, uh, Martin Luther, his his uh, grandfather was named A.D. Williams, and he was a minister for years. Mm. And uh, eventually he moved to Atlanta, where he took over a, a struggling Ebenezer Baptist church and only had a few members, and he made it into a forceful congregation. So his grandfather was a, a minister. And uh, Michael King Sr., he was a sharecropper. Uh, his family was a poor, lived in a poor farming community. And he married uh, his wife, Alberta, in 1926. And they uh, moved to Atlanta to live with his father-in-law, A.D. Williams, the pastor. And Martin Luther's dad, Michael King Sr., he kind of stepped up and he became pastor. So he's kind of yeah. got a, you know, a history or a genealogy, you know, uh, line of pastors before him and he was a successful minister and that's when he changed his name to Martin Luther King in honor of the German Protestant religious leader Martin Luther oh interesting yeah so he changed his name so his name was uh, Michael King was his name and he changed it to Martin Luther King after he changed it Michael Jr would follow his father's name and adopt the name himself and become Martin Luther King Jr. So right. his name is not even Martin Luther. I always thought that was so cool. Yeah. And we just changed it. He just changed it. Yeah. Lame. <laughs> he did it on purpose. It was a choice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he was a middle child. He had an older sister, Christine, a younger brother, A.D. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was born in... in the South in America, right? In this, and at this time, in uh, let's see, it was 1929 when he was born. And obviously, in this time, and even you know, all the way up to after his death, uh, was it was a place that was where racism was running rampant and segregation between whites and blacks, and yeah, it was bad. So, so he was kind of born into that situation. His parents tried to protect him from it. And he grew up in a wonderful household. Um, great upbringing, but they couldn't shelter him from racism. It was just, like you said, it was rampant. Yeah, and it was everywhere. It was everywhere, yeah. Well, um, so some significant moments in his childhood. In 1941, so Martin is 12 at the time, his grandmother Jenny died of a heart attack. Mm. And this event was traumatic for him. Uh, more so because he was watching a parade against his parents' wishes. So he was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be, and while he was out, his grandmother died. 
And he was so distraught, actually, at the news that he jumped from a second-story window from their family home, allegedly attempting suicide. Wow. So, once again, I think we can kind of check the box for having a, usually it's a parent, but a significant, a significant family member dying in their childhood. And it hit him really hard. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, another uh, interesting happening, significant moment was when, uh, when Martin Luther King was a child. He actually befriended a, a white boy. And, um, but when they were six and started school, they had to go to different schools. And uh, the white boy's father also just didn't didn't want them to be friends anymore. Crazy. So, kind of kind of one of his first uh, experiences with with how racism yeah. split people apart, and um, you know with with segregation and everything and everything. So he was very educated. Uh, when he was five years old, he entered public school, and he was a precocious student. He skipped both uh, 9th and 11th grades and entered Morehouse College in Atlanta at the age of 15 in 1944. Crazy. So he's a smart kid, you know, um, yeah. well above his peers. And he ended up choosing to uh, enter the ministry, right, and become become a minister. And that was uh, the summer before his last year at Morehouse. And so in 1947, and he was 18 year old, years old at the time, and he, and he decides to enter the ministry. So he goes to uh, the Liberal Crozer Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania, and he thrived. He was valedictorian of his class and elected student body president. So this guy is a smart guy. He knows how to get do well in school, and he uh, gets accepted to several colleges for his doctoral study, including Yale. But he enrolls at Boston University. Yeah, it seems like he really kind of found his niche, right? He yeah. kind of found his path and, and just went for it. and was, like you said, he thrived. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, while he was working on his dissertation in 1954, he became pastor of a Baptist church in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, soon after, he completed his PhD and earned his degree in 1955. And at this point, King was only 25 years old. He's got his doctorate. He's got a PhD. Yeah. And he's already a pastor. So he is a a young stud. He is very educated, already a pastor. He's 25 years old. He's he's really ahead of the game here. Yeah, he uh he also worked as an assistant minister um while he was working on his doctoral studies. Um an assistant minister at Boston's 12th Baptist Church. Um, so yeah, not only was he was he was pursuing his doctorate, but he was also, you know, working yeah. at the same time. Um, and uh, he at that church, he he actually um, was working with Reverend William Hunter Hester, and uh, who was an old friend of, of Martin Luther King's father, and uh, Hester was actually a really important influence for, for for Dr. King. So at this point, it's 1955, and like we said, he was a young, successful pastor, mm-hmm. and people are starting to stand up against um, the segregation and all the persecution and discrimination that African Americans are feeling 
and experiencing in America. And one of those, uh, a household name was Rosa Parks. Yeah. So her story was when they asked her to sit in the back of the bus, and she refused to. And then she ended up getting arrested. And this kind of stirred the pot, got a lot of people kind of excited and to, to kind of have her back. And so the local NAACP, they met with Martin Luther King Jr. and other civil rights leaders, and they planned a boycott. So yeah. he's he's just kind of a, a successful guy at the time, you know, who's preaching, and, and, and he's very interested in these equal rights. And so they actually elect him to be the leader of the boycott because he was young, well-trained, with a solid family connection and had professional standing. Right? They didn't want someone who would kind of feed into uh, African-American stereotypes, you know? Mm-hmm. And they, so they had this guy who was African-American but was educated and smart and young and just solid, yeah. you know, good family. Energetic, yeah. Um, the, uh, the situation actually became so tense during that. So the, the boycott lasted for 385 days. Um, and at one point... Um, King's house was actually bombed. Wow. Um, so he was already seeing that there was going to be a lot of opposition, obviously, when he's when they're um, working for these changes. And uh, But yeah, this was kind of the first big event in, in sort of the, the, the civil rights movement that was yeah. led by him. It seems like um, people who try to make these cultural movements, they receive persecution and and as we'll see with Martin Luther King, are often, you know, martyred. Yeah. Become martyrs, you know. Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's interesting how they have so much resistance. As we went over Joseph Smith, and he got to a point, and we could have just said, and from now until his death, he was persecuted. Yeah. And this is that point with Martin Luther. He had to deal with, with uh, yeah, so much opposition, death threats, everything. So he said, quote, we have no alternative but to protest. For many years, we have shown an amazing patience. We have sometimes given our white brothers the feeling that we like the way we are being treated. But we come here tonight to be saved from that patience that makes us patient with anything less than freedom of justice. So this man was eloquent. He had a way with words and inspiring people, which, like the person we uh, did last week, Adolf Hitler, similar skill used in a totally totally different way. Wow, yeah. So what he ends up doing, uh, he goes on another series of boycotts and marches, and he's actually inspired uh, immensely by Mahatma Gandhi. Yeah. Sorry, real quick, I was just thinking about uh, kind of comparing Martin Luther King Jr. with Adolf Hitler. Um, One of the stark differences we see between them up to this point in their life is the amount of formal education. And, you know, Dr. King, he was Dr. King. And he was, obviously both men were very smart, but Dr. King had that sort of different, obviously a very different childhood experience, a better family life, and uh, got into this formal education that really helped him, I think, probably appreciate truth and appreciate the pursuit of, of real truth, whereas Hitler kind of, his education was World War I. You know, so he's he's educated by death, basically. Interesting. It's interesting to think about, but yeah. Um, jump right back in. So in 1959, uh, he um, Dr. King travels 
to the birthplace of Gandhi in India. Mm. And he had a cool quote, uh, paraphrasing something like, to all other countries I go as a tourist, but to India I come as a pilgrim. That's cool. Yeah, really cool. So he was really inspired by Gandhi and his peaceful protests. Yeah, the nonviolence. That was that was the big thing. Um, and quick note on that too is is another comparison. We we talked about the the, the world leaders like um, you know Napoleon, Hitler, um, kind of their connection and how Hitler had gone to Napoleon's grave to visit. Yeah. Um, and then Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great, same thing. Julius Caesar yeah. was inspired by Alexander the Great who went mm-hmm. before him. And now we see the same kind of thing with, with Martin Luther King Jr. being inspired by Gandhi who went before him. They're on, their, they're on the same thread almost. Yeah. Yeah, similar people. So Martin Luther does a series of protests, nonviolent protests, of course. He does some where... He sits in in restaurants at lun- in lunch counters and refuses to leave and gets a lot of students to do it with him. And so this is a time of excitement for an African-American youth where change is being made and you're making uh, a difference, you know. And a lot of laws were changed, uh, laws regarding segregation in different counties were adjusted and people weren't people couldn't do terrible things to, to blacks back then, at least not uh, like publicly, you know, as much. And so there's a couple instances where the government, the local governments are pressured because they're worried if they don't respond to this, they're going to look bad, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's why these peaceful protests worked so well, you know? Because if they throw Martin Luther King in jail, oh man, he's in trouble. So one of them actually, he... Uh, yeah, they, so these students enter a department store and they sit down at this counter and they ask for food and they're denied. They refuse to leave and they're all arrested. And the mayor, realizing this is going to hurt the city's reputation, he negotiates a truce and charges were dropped. But soon after, King was in prison for violating a probation on a traffic conviction. <laughs> so they were, they were careful. It's grasping at straws. Yeah. yeah, things had changed since Abraham Lincoln. And, pe- and people cared about, you know, how they were perceived. And they didn't want to get too big of a, you know, uh, they didn't want to stir the pot Bad too reputation. much. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, after he gets imprisoned, uh, John F. Kennedy hears about it. And uh, he calls Dr. King's wife and expresses his concern. And he pretty much gets King released. So JFK kind of has his back. So at this point, King is a household name. Very powerful figure, yeah. Everyone in the nation knows him, and he's doing all types of protests. You know? All over the all over the United States, his influence is. A, um, there's what was called the Albany Movement um, that uh, Dr. King became involved with, um, mobilizing citizens for for a, a nonviolent attack on segregation, um, and uh, that that Albany Movement actually gained also gained uh, attraction nationwide. So so yeah. All over the all, all over the country, he's he's gaining recognition and for his movement and, and for the things that he's trying to do. He did a big one, uh, a march in Birmingham. Yep. So and, the Albany one was in 1961, Birmingham 1963. Mm-hmm. And this one, uh, police uh, they turned their dogs and they shot people with fire hoses. And Martin Luther King was jailed for a long period of time, but the good news is that with photography and videography, like the whole nation knew about this. Yeah. And once the dirty little secret got out, 
people want to stand it anymore, you yeah. know? And so uh, later that year, he actually marches to Washington with 200,000 people and in the shadow of the Lincoln Memorial is where he gives his speech. Yeah, the I, I Have a Dream speech. Yeah. We actually, fun, fun change in the podcast. We actually have the recording of it right here. We just want to listen to about, I don't know, 10 seconds of it. But here is the actual recording of Martin Luther King giving his speech. I have a dream. My poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. So, pretty cool. It's, really, it's a really cool opportunity to hear his voice and hear him speak and, and to see, uh, I mean, he's a modern, maybe the most modern person we've done so far. And yeah, and so it's cool that you guys can look up that video and watch it and see that power that he wielded, the power to uh, bring courage into people's hearts and to uh, you know move them into action. Yeah, um, really inspiring. But um, so from there, that was 1963. 1964, he gets the Nobel Peace Prize. Yes. So he's. That's you know that's obviously one of the most prestigious awards in the world. Um, so he's not only now famous in America, but he's famous all around the world. Exactly. 1965 is when in Selma he the, they do a march from Selma to Alabama, which the movie Selma was uh, made. In, it was inspired by. Yeah. And uh, you know a lot of people the police turned violent with nightsticks. There was tear gas, and uh, once again got national attention. 1965 through 1967, he also uh, expanded the civil rights efforts into bigger cities like Chicago and Los Angeles. Um, so, you know, hitting those bigger markets, and uh, he just continued on his his uh, movement there and, and spoke out against the, the Vietnam War as yeah. well. 1968, he's getting kind of tired of all the confrontations uh, the marches, going to jail, living under a constant threat of death. And in that same year, he actually gets assassinated. Yeah, so 1968, he goes to Memphis, Tennessee, um, stays at a hotel that he'd stayed at multiple times before. Um, and on the second floor balcony, he gets shot, and the bullet, he gets shot from above. The bullet goes through his right cheek, through his spinal cord, and lodges in his left shoulder. Um, he's taken to the hospital where they um, perform surgery, but he dies about an hour later. And it's it's eerie to see the similarities with him and and other people that we've done so far who made cultural changes, like Gandhi, yeah, who was also assassinated, and Socrates, who was put to death by his own people. Yeah, it seems like when you're when you're that much of a public figure and you're speaking out against. You know, you're you're speaking your ideals very publicly. You're always going to have people that that, you, that don't like what you're saying. You yeah. Know? And uh, you know, it's it's ironic that Gandhi was killed by Hindu? a Hindu. Yeah, somebody who thought that he was that Gandhi was too nice about Muslims, like he was too favorable to the Muslims. So there's always going to yeah. be opposition, and you have to face that, and and it. 
and a lot of times it ultimately results in your death. It's interesting. I mean, who have we done that's made cultural change? Uh, Abraham Lincoln, Joseph Smith, Gandhi, yeah. Socrates, Martin Luther, King, all five martyrs. Yeah. Wow. But interestingly enough, when you become a martyr, uh, most of the time it invigorates your movement. Your followers get inspired uh, like Christians with Christ. And a lot of times it cements your legacy and helps the future of your movement, which is kind of counterintuitive that you dying would help your, your progress your ideals, you know? Yeah. But it does seem to do that. So, so um, he dies. Um, yeah, real quick. On, yeah, yeah, go on. on uh, uh, shortly before his death, he gave he gave another famous speech. Um, I've been to the mountaintop. That speech, where he he kind of compares himself to Moses, and he says, "I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land." So almost like he was able to predict that like he wasn't yeah he wasn't gonna make it but yeah. he started this movement we're gonna get there kind cool. of thing. Well, let's jump into some fun quotes uh, real quick that he did. Okay, we can just go kind of rapid fire picking our favorite ones. Uh, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Great one. Very famous one. Um, life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in the moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. That's a good one. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Similarly, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Also similar, everything that we see is a shadow cast by that which we do not see. Spiritual. That's a good one, yeah. Reminds me of uh, Plato's cave allegory. Yeah, totally. Nothing in all the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. Our scientific power has outrun our spiritual power. We have guided missiles and misguided men. That's a cool one. I really like that. Yeah, that's a good thing to think about. Um, I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. Never forget that everything Hitler did in Germany was legal. That's a scary thought. Yeah, especially we just did Hitler. Uh, human progress is my last one. Human progress is neither automatic nor inevitable. Every step toward the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering, and struggle. The tireless exertions and passionate concern of dedicated individuals. That's a great one. Yeah. All right, we got a few minutes left. Let's just go into, you know, defining moments in his life and why we think he's a world changer. I can start. I think a defining moment is in his life was when he decided to forego the the possible, the the ambition, the accolades, and the prestige of a different career, 
maybe even in academia, but something else. He was a smart guy. He knew his stuff. He could have done a lot of things, and he chose to be a pastor. Yeah. And I think that he wanted to make cultural changes, and as he was inspired, as you mentioned, by um, his mentor, that he could make cultural changes through Christianity, and that's what he did, you know? So I think that was a, a moment in, in his life, I think, that was a defining moment. As far as him and why he is on our list of world changers... Well, I think the movement that he started, it's still uh, it's going on today. I mean, I think yeah. there's made a lot of progress, but he, uh, you know, the United States was segregated, and there was a lot of racism, and I think he's torn down a lot of those walls. And when you think about breaking down a wall, you think of a big hammer, you know, with so much force. And it's cool to see him be inspired by Gandhi and to take down these huge walls so peacefully yeah and uh, just chipping away i think it regardless though although the there was no physical force towards other people i think there always has to be struggle there has to be pain there's physical force against him and against his followers right Uh, so these walls don't just come down were you hoping for them to come down gandhi's didn't come down that way um, you know, we talked about his fast and his struggles and, and what these guys did to achieve their, to tear down their walls. And I think Martin Luther being, all his, his followers, you know, being sentenced to jail, uh, being attacked by dogs and ultimately being murdered. Mm-hmm. I think that's the price he had to pay. And I think he knew that was the ultimate price. And, uh, he went towards that, that demon, you know, that darkness with courage, knowing yeah. that what he was doing was right and that it was worth it. Yeah, that's a that's a cool thing to think about is is when you when you have that type of um, confidence that what you're doing is right and good, that you can you can just go and do it and it doesn't matter what happens because yeah. because you're doing what's right. Um, it's about the it's journey, scary. yeah, not the destination. Nice, yeah. It's 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 very scary and it takes courage. Um, and you kind of know where the path is leading, but but you're willing to make that sacrifice in order, you know, kind of for the greater good. Um, one interesting thing I read about, uh, sort of a defining moment when he was 13, he um, was in Sunday school and he denied the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's like, uh, I mean, so that that would have created a stir in that class, but. Yeah. It, it shows that from a young age he was willing to question things and uh, think about things in a different way and not just accept the truth or accept things blindly, you know. But later on, I mean, as he went along, he studied the Bible and found truth there. And so, uh, obviously, he became a Christian pastor, so he believed in all that. But um, but that sort of set him down a path and his his willingness to seek knowledge and seek after the truth he's another one that that had just a hunger to find the truth um but he also was different i think than a lot of these people is is his gift for public speaking and his ability to proclaim that truth sets him apart from a lot of a lot of the other people that we've done um and use it for something that it was very, you know, it was really hard to do um, in the United States at that time. It was, it was a really hard wall to be to be coming up against. 
Um, but uh, we like the fact that we were able to listen to the recording of his speech and you know his words are written down. His influence is going to go on for for decades and centuries. Uh, so that's ultimately his lasting legacy, and, and and we don't know what his full legacy is going to be yet. Because in in a hundred years, it could be a little bit different. Yeah, and because uh, there could be somebody else that is the, you know, as Martin Luther King was, or as Gandhi was to Martin Luther King, who's the next figure sure. that sure. Martin Luther yeah. King inspires. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, feel free to send us an email, worldchangerspod at gmail.com. We'd love hearing your guys' feedback, corrections, uh, recommendations for who, who we should do. We, we just love pouring over those emails. And we're, if we don't respond, we apologize. We, there's a lot. We try to get through them, um, but we, uh, we'll get to you eventually. Yeah. Um, let us know your your opinion on uh, you know defining moments in people's lives because that's definitely up for interpretation. So we're we're happy to discuss that. Want to hear what you have to say? So thanks so much for listening and catch us next time. Mm-hmm.